Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sport Light Podcast. This week, we're going to analyze a question. How do you motivate those that you coach? Welcome to the Sport Light Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sport Light refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sport Light. The Sport Light Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Well, Sheldon, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for coming on again. It's always great to have you on. Today, the discussion I want to have with you is a really interesting discussion, and it it centers around a question. The question is this, how do we motivate our kids? How do we motivate those that we coach or our own children? And so I've been seeing something recently in the world that I would love your insights on and, and your thoughts on as they pertain to sports in particular, but I've seen that fear and hate are becoming very common motivators in our world. You know, you look at the political landscape and it's almost like, we aren't even going to tell you the good things we're going to do. We're just going to tell you how bad it would be if the (laughs) other person gets elected. And I'm not talking about either side of the aisle there. It seems to be a very, oh, this person has some secret deep thing about them. And, and, and so we aren't trying to motivate people to be excited, for example, in the political process to vote for us. It's almost like we're trying to make them afraid of voting for the other person. Um, I, I listen to a lot of advertisements on, on talk radio and things like that. And it's like the whole segment is about how, oh, the, the world's going horrible and bad, bad times are coming. And then it just happens to be that all the sponsors are like emergency preparedness people <laughs> and all these things. And so it's yeah. just, it seems to be that people are using two things, fear and hate to motivate. And I just realized that rhymed. So that's like super cool. No, that is very cool. <laughs> yeah. But fear and hate to motivate, right? So, so when you think of it like in a sports setting, how might we even unintentionally use fear and hate to motivate kids to work hard or to play hard or, or whatever? It, it doesn't take many examples to realize that um, fear and hate usually, usually are about control. Uh, but they're they're not good for high performance, right? And uh, and what happens is we get caught in this kind of this trap that I'm going to uh, in, intensify and and then scare you to the point that then you'll really get motivated. And people get motivated for for different reasons and in different ways. But if you can capture a motivation where someone is is like reaching. And, and, and like, and, and really striving and just kind of their growth, their vision, like what they are tr- like, like working for, they will always perform better than trying to dutifully accomplish the thing that they have been forced to do. And, and there's, th- there's hundreds of studies that could validate that in a variety of different ways, but it applies to sports. Uh, it applies to sports in, in a lot of ways as well. Yeah, we always hear that phrase where the team's playing afraid, right? And I think mm-hmm. of little things that coaches do that could create players trying to perform because they're afraid. For example, threatening 
Mm-hmm. to take people out of a game. Now, naturally, there's a course of things where hopefully the best players and the best performers are going to play. And there's a natural fear already built into a lot of athletes, right? That if I don't start performing better, I'm going to get taken out of the lineup. That's naturally there. But sometimes coaches layer it on trying to really motivate. They say things like, boy, I'll tell you what, right now, there's a few players on this team that if they don't step up, they're going to be replaced by other people. You better, mm-hmm. you better do it right now. You better step up right now. And, and they think in their minds that what they're doing is creating this atmosphere where the players are going to be like, oh, I wasn't trying hard before, but now, now <laughs> I'm going to give effort. And really, yeah. I think we've all had these experiences where the coaches that we that most athletes enjoy playing for uh, are our coaches that they believe have confidence in them, like believe in them. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we create this atmosphere of fear thinking that it's going to increase in performance. But, but typically my experience has been that fear creates like this tightness instead of this looseness while you play. And, and it, may even create more mistakes or poorer performance than trying to motivate by healthier means. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I love collecting kind of stories about this, this kind of topic as well. And I saw one recently where a young man who played a wide receiver, um, a way a coach motivated him, right, to compare. He, uh, he came out to him and, and he said, uh, it, was a, it was a college, and he comes out and he says, you're the greatest wide receiver I have ever recruited. I want you to play like it. And, and, and so all of a sudden, that's a vision, right? He still was correcting him, but it was, it was not this fear. It was, it was empowering. That's different than saying, man, you are a junior and I was expecting a lot more out of you. I've got three redshirt freshmen over there that play better than you. If you don't get your act together, you're not going to play. Man, you might not have a scholarship your senior year. Right? It, 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 the exact same player, same sequence. If, if you create a vision, they're, they're going to play better and be better and work better than, than if they're just playing out of fear. It, it, it's really to be kind of nerdy about it, it's a human behavior, but it is the way the brain operates. You can get yourself to do some things out of fear, but it will, it will never be your highest sustained performance. It's just not possible. It's not the way that we're created. You have to be able to have your decision-making at its peak. You have to be able to uh, have these other elements of your body kind of loose in order to be at your highest performance. And the body's not made to do that when it's motivated by fear. I'm not trying to survive, but that's different than, than kind of thriving in a situation. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I felt it. I, you know, I'm not nerdy enough. I mean, you're a complete nerd, right? That's a good point. It's a very good point. It's a good, <laughs> I'm good not starting nerdy spot. enough to know the science behind it, but I sure have played for a coach who I felt like believed in me and and my teammates. And I have played for coaches that just always, it was like the whole time they were trying to make you afraid of making a mistake. If you make a mistake, you're, you're coming out. And I have felt the difference in my own 
makeup, like as an athlete, where playing for those coaches that it's not that I wasn't going to make mistakes. I just, I wouldn't feel the ground ball thinking, don't mess up, don't mess up, don't mess up. I just feel that a ground ball to make the play. And, and sometimes coaches could do things to, to get in players' heads and they think they're getting in their heads and helping them perform. But really I have felt it and maybe people are different. You know, there might be someone listening to this podcast that's going, I actually like that coach. I like the threats. I like those things. But for me personally, and especially when we're talking about little kids, I have a hard time believing that fear is the best motivator when it comes to coaching our, our children. Yeah. And in fact, there's, there's a kind of a therapeutic intervention that's called motivational interviewing. And what's funny is a lot of people, when they hear that, they think it's like a pep talk. They think it's, it's like a rah, rah intervention. Um, it's, it's not, it's almost the opposite. It's this great technique that's been around for 50, 60 years or so. And when, when a client comes in and says, oh, you know, they're, they're kind of telling you why they shouldn't be there. It's called rolling with the resistance. And the whole point behind it is you agree with them and let them make their change their own. So, you know, you have a teenager come in and, oh, I, you know, why are you here? I don't know. My parents are dumb. You know, they just, I got caught doing some things stupid, you know, it's uh Marijuana is legal now. I don't know why they care, you know, and instead of saying, well, you know, start laying it out, the, the technique is, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they had to have you come see me, you know, and you just keep agreeing with them, uh, not validating, but kind of rolling with it a little bit. And often what happens is they'll get to a point where they'll say, well, you know, it's, it's not good for me though. I know it's, I know that stuff's just going to, I'm just going to get in trouble at school and I don't want to do that. And, and they start owning <laughs> what they're going to change. And if they own it, all of a sudden they can start to change. I think it's very similar when you create vision in an athlete. If, if it's fair, if it's fear, then I have to have a coach telling me what to do all the time. Cause I, I'm just not going to be able to think and, and be able to make a decision. I need someone to tell me what to do, but if they own what they're trying to accomplish, then the output is is going to be so much better, right? And so I, I think it's really important that they own the vision of who you think they can become. Awesome. I love that that word vision because it's instead of motivating by fear, I'm going to try to motivate by by vision, by helping you see. In fact, I'm reading a book right now called The Talent Code. And it's a super interesting book. The, the, the man who researched it and wrote it, he would go to these different places that seemed to be producing an inordinate amount of talent for the place. So, for example, there's this little tennis club in Russia that produced Anna Kornikova. Mm -hmm. And if you go to it, I mean, he describes it. It's a dump. It has one tennis court. It has one tennis court. But because it produced Anna Kornikova and she went on to be like this world-renowned tennis player and model, right? All the little girls there in that little town, they all they got this vision. He said they started to say within themselves, if Anna can do it, then I can do it. And that vision is what produced that outburst of talent where 
Wimbledon and, and U.S. Opens. I mean, you started to see all these Russian tennis players, and they're all coming from this same tennis club that's like a dump. I mean, it, we all in our towns here in the United States have nicer tennis courts than this place had in Russia, of all places. But it's it became this hotbed for tennis. Uh, another example he shared was Andrew Jones coming out of the island of Carousel. But it's this small little island, right? And Andrew Jones makes it to the Atlanta Braves and becomes this all-star center fielder there, wins nine gold gloves. One of the most famous events in the island of Carousel is when Andrew Jones hit two home runs in the World Series against the Yankees. And that spread throughout that island like crazy. And then all the little kids started to say, if Andrew Jones can do it, I can do it. And then they started to play at the little league he played at, doing all these things. 400 kids come out to play because I could be like Andrew Jones. And all of a sudden, this little teeny island is making it to the World Series, the Little League World Series every year, four or five years later, and producing then four or five years later, like all this major league talent. And, and there's an island right across from Carousel, that same temperature, same population, same everything. And they aren't producing anything like that, even same genetics. And so, so he started to look at this concept of vision and how when we want to increase performance, when we want talent to explode, then we start to increase vision. And so we have sometimes like these high schools, for example, that all of a sudden just start producing this incredible college football talent or this incredible college soccer talent or baseball or whatever. And it seems to, and everyone's like, wow, those coaches. And that has something to do with it, of course. But part of it is also just vision. Kids see a kid, a, a Zach Wilson here in Utah, who, who leaves from Corner Canyon, goes to BYU, becomes the number two overall pick. And then you have the next quarterback at Corner Canyon who just lit up Washington state, right. For, for five touchdowns and he's playing for USC. And now they have another kid coming up. Who's also incredible. And it's like, wow, they really know how there's something in the water there at, at the high school. And it's like, is it, or is it a mixture of coaching of course, and maybe some genetics, but is it a lot of vision? And, and I love that word you're using because it makes me think, okay, if I don't want to use fear, if I don't want to be that coach that has all my players playing afraid all the time, playing tight, afraid to make a mistake, if I don't want to be that person, how can I be a person who increases performance by increasing vision? And when you think, I would just love to hear, like, when you think of a youth coach, what are what do you think? And we'll just brainstorm here on this podcast, but like, if a coach wanted to increase vision, what comes to your mind? You know, I, I think uh, here, here's one. Here's a simple example. And I know it may sound silly. What if a coach went up to 10, 12, 15 players, whether it was for junior college or, or a division one, two or three, or, and said, hey, like, have you thought about playing the next level? You, you could do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, what, what that does to that sophomore it's kind of start to think, wow, you really, you really think I could? 
Now, you don't have to be like disingenuous with it, but we've all seen this. Usually the difference between someone playing high school uh, sports and like junior college sports, for example, a lot of that is often within their control, kind of their work ethic, their vision, their, okay, I can, you know, I can do this. I can put the time aside. That'd be a very simple way uh, uh, to do it. All of a sudden they have, whoa, really? You, you, you think so? Like you, you think that I could do that? And again, being honest with them, but that's a great way to do it. I think in the language that we use, it's always the the next thing. If you think about instead of the last thing, the next thing, you know, you could do that from game to game. Man, I I really think you're just you're hitting the ball really well in practice. I I think you're gonna have a big game. I, I think you could. You're just due for a breakout to go four for four. I, I mean, just have a great game. You step into the batter's box in a different mindset than, hey, you've been in a real slump, haven't you? You know, I mean, you're going to have to break out of that or we're pulling you out of the lineup, right? I mean, there's just the same situation you can approach in so many different ways. So I'd always use language that is forward thinking, forward looking. It's going, you can do this, you've got to reach a little bit, is another very clear way that you could speak to players. Yeah. As I'm listening to this book, I've been thinking about my own daughter who's learning tennis right now. And uh, taking her out to play tennis and saying something like, not that I would do this, but, you know, okay, I'm throwing you balls. If you don't make nine of 10, in when I I'm just throwing you balls. Like, how do you expect to do that in a game? Like, I'm not going to sit out here and waste my time training you. If you're not going to be getting any better, like that threatening language, it, even though I didn't come right out and say it, it's almost like, look, if you're not going to start performing, then I'm not going to spend this time with you. I I see that could be very damaging, not only to to their performance, but to relationships. But when I start thinking about increasing vision, I start thinking, okay, right now she's an eighth grade tennis player. And I like what you said, what's the next step? And and maybe not just the the next match, the next game, like you applied it. But for me, okay, if I want her to to learn what it takes to play high school tennis, to see how fun it could be, just taking her to high school tennis matches, taking her to the we live here in Utah to the Utah State Girls Tennis Championships that are going to be playing here this fall and helping her see a vision. What, what he realized is that if you can increase vision, it's not that the vision creates this success. Vision creates motivation to put in the work that creates success. But sometimes we want to threaten kids into the work. You know, we want, we've all had that. My daughter said to me one time when I, she got home and she was all excited to go up and clean her room. And she was like, she knew that me and her mom had been kind of harping on that lately. And so she was going to surprise us. She was going to come home. She's going to go up and she's going to clean her room. And so she walked in the door and I said, Hey, before you do anything tonight, you're going to have that room clean. And she was like, Oh my gosh. I was so excited to clean my room and you just ruined it. You know, you just ruined it. And so I think sometimes like we do that stuff, even in sports where they want to work hard, they want to do these things, 
But we use this threatening or fearful, or if you guys don't work, or I'm going to make you puke because you, you know, the way you played or the number of penalties you had the other night or whatever, you're, you're going to be throwing up instead of just saying, Hey, we got a lot of work to do. This is going to be hard. This is going to be crazy hard, but we're going to work hard together and we're going to improve together because I see a great team in you. You know, one of the things, Sheldon, that uh, Urban Meyer, he talks about in his book Above the Line, one of the things that he does with his teams, he calls it Champions Day or something like that. I think it's Champions Day where he brings in someone who's won an NFL championship. He brings in someone who's won an NBA championship or even a you know, a U.S. Open championship. He's brought in some golfers and tennis players, just elite athletes, right, that have accomplished it. And they, he has them tell the story of like preparing for and winning the championship. And then they celebrate as a team as though they have won the championship. Like they, they celebrate like, okay, cool. at the end of it, let's, let's say we do this. Let's say we, we go and we win the national championship and they celebrate almost like here's how it's a taste of how it's going to feel. This person told us how they felt. We're going to kind of celebrate and then they forget it, but they have the vision and then they work for that vision the whole year. And, and it just seems there's this piece that if we don't want to use fear, if we don't want to use, you know, this manipulation way of coaching, vision, creating vision, and just asking ourselves that question, I'm sure there's a thousand ways to do it. How can we create vision of what this team could be, which will spark work? And as they do the work, that creates those outcomes. But the it's like the vision is the gasoline that powers the work. Yeah. Well, Shad, you know, you and I, uh, being brothers, uh, were, you know, not, not, we were kind of first generation, uh, college students. And, um, I still remember in high school, I remember thinking college is impossible. Like I I had zero concept of, of what it was going to take. And I had a teacher one day, that he kind of mocked the class. He shared the statistics from our high school on who went to college and they were really low and he kind of made fun of it. And he put in a video of, uh, it was like a little kid's video on when I want to grow up, you know, what do I want to do? And he really was just like mocking us. I think if something like that happened today, it would be would get in trouble. But then I had another teacher that I found out that um, he had an educational doctorate degree from USC. And I was like, whoa. That's crazy. And I asked him, I said, you must be like really smart. And he corrected me and he said, oh, Sheldon, really? Like, I'm, I'm not trying to be humble here. I'm not smart. The one thing I was, was I was diligent. I just kind of kept going. He said, you know, high school, college was a lot like high school. There were some differences, but you just kind of had to do it. And then I didn't think I'd get into a master's degree. And I just kind of found a spot. And then I, I just kept going. And I remember for the first time, like in my life, believing and starting to understand it, it might be possible if I wanted to get a doctorate degree and nothing changed in me. It was literally someone else trying not to take the big road of, oh, you'll never be as good as, or, or the generation before, right? We were so much harder. And I think one thing that creates that vision, it's really intrigued me recently, 
And I hope this comes out in a way that shows all due respect to great athletes. But sometimes it's wonderful when an athlete realizes that the star is pretty normal. They're not as good. They're not superhuman. You know what I mean? That they, they make errors. They strike out. They, they don't have a great game every game. I, I think it's funny to watch high school kids who have just graduated and there's someone that they played against in high school who's on TV, right? Like, oh, that guy's on TV. And there's almost like this confusion. They're like, well, I knew they were good, but I, like, my concept of how good you had to be to be playing on TV, it, it's like not matching because they were good, but I, they're not as good as I had perceived them, right? Mm-hmm. That's that vision, I think, that you're talking about, where when we realize most people with some vision are going to be able to push themselves and reach to a point that they're going to become a lot better than if we take this approach of, oh, yeah, you're just not big enough, strong enough, fast enough, don't have the right breaks, because uh, that's often just not the story, right? Nah, so true. So true. The The other way that we motivate, I just wanted to spend a few minutes on this to close is hate. There's too much hate in our society right now. And we try to motivate people with hate, uh, hate for another group or whatever, uh, fear and hate. But um, we have a principle and especially for athletes you're well aware of as one of our people who go out and speak and train and compete without contempt, compete without hatred. And I, I heard a quote but from G.K. Chesterton. Have you ever heard of him? No, I haven't. Yeah, me neither. In fact, I don't even know if I said his name right. But anyway, I I looked him up, so I wasn't completely uneducated. He was this English philosopher, you know, but he wrote something that was super powerful. He says, the true soldier fights not because he hates who's in front of him, but because he loves who's behind him. Hmm. And I, I love that concept that... We don't need to produce hate in the hearts of our athletes to get them to perform, but producing greater love for your teammates, for your school, for your community, in the Olympic Games, for your country. Those athletes who seem to be motivated by love rather than hate, it seems more natural. It's easier to be motivated by love than by hate. And it seems to bring more powerful reservoirs of energy. You think of the the mothers protecting their children, you know, that's, that's not because they hate the thing they're protecting their children from it's because they love their children. And so that's my, my other question is, if I want to motivate my team by, if I want love to motivate their hard work, instead of hate to motivate their hard work, what are some some ideas that just come to your mind about how love can be a motivator with a with a team or an athlete? Yeah, I I love that quote that you shared, right? It's it's that concept. Sometimes I'll tell my kids, you know, demolition is cheaper than construction. All right, but construction's more rewarding. Like it, it takes more effort, but it's it greater fulfillment. Um, I love that concept of fighting for your team. Um, as opposed to fighting against the opponent. Because what happens, one way that you can start to motivate 
is if you're fighting against an opponent, then you've lost a little bit of your control on what you can do, right? If you're fighting for something, then the opponent can change and, and you're still motivated. You're, you're still working for something. So it, it applies in business as, as well. And in the workplace, if you're working to get ahead of others in the company, it's just, it's toxic and it, it just is hurtful. If you're working to build something, it's fulfilling, right? So the ways I, w- I would do it as a, as a coach is, uh, and parents, I would find ways that the team, uh, that they can build something together. Um, you know what I mean? I know that sounds kind of hokey a, a little bit, but you know, you could, you could combine some goals. If they're in the weight room, you could combine some goals to say, Hey, you know, total squat for the whole team is right here. If, if we could get all of you, you know, added together to get to this level, right? Can we do it? Like, so then it's this, you know, we're, we're fighting for something. We're working with each other. Um, you are right that it is more powerful and more motivating. So to answer your question quickly, I think that's how I would do it. I would try to find every element that you could where you would work for something, right? That they can do that's in their control, regardless of the opponent, you know? So then if you're talking, you know, basketball or, or, or something, you're, you're working to be a team that is great at re- rebounding. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who the opponent is, right? Like this is what we are working for. We're going to have the best rebounding guards in the region. We're going to have the best rebounding forwards and center. Like we're going to work for this together and highlight it. I, I, I think that builds a camaraderie and kind of unifies them as opposed to just hatred for something else. Yeah. And it seems to me that that would be more consistent of a motivator, right? Because oh yeah, we could pretend and try to work up. It's funny how some coaches, like they love finding something that's bulletin board material that makes them angry before every game, you know? And it's like, if you're dependent yeah. upon that, you know, that, oh, did, did you hear what they said? Or, you know, or this is our rival and we just don't even say their name. And, you know, I mean, there's people who yeah. might agree with that approach, but but if um, if it's love for your own team, that's consistent. It doesn't matter if you're playing the team that's last in the conference or the team that that is your your arch rival. If love is your motivator, then that's always there. You're always taking care of each other. You're always wanting each other to perform. You're always wanting each other to do well. And so, so I just I love that. I love the concept. You know, just to to close up this this podcast is I just asking myself the question, how do I motivate my children? How do I motivate those that I coach on a daily basis? Am I trying to use fear? Even, even this, like when you think of schooling, Hey, if you get bad grades, then you won't be able to do this or this or this, your whole life will be limited and you'll, just struggle throughout your life because of the decisions you're making right now, you're going to, you're going to struggle Uh, that on the spectrum. That's probably more toward fear rather than, Hey, look, I know school's hard, but if you are willing to buckle down and really put in the work, it opens up doors of opportunity that you're going to be super happy 
are open. And there have been people that are like you with with whatever struggles you have that have had a hard time sitting in school or whatever it might be that have disciplined themselves. And because of that, they have gone on to do incredible things and have incredible lives. And that's what I want for you. Those are two simple, subtle differences, but one seems to be based in, if you don't do this, life's going to stink. And and one is, if you will do this, it will it will open up opportunity. And, and I just think of that fear versus love. You know, we are not going to lose to these people or, or we like to look at populations of people in colleges or whatever that's at the rival school and pretend they're all like this horrible version of human, right? So we can conjure up this hate so that it brings up these, these wells of energy that we can access to beat them. Well, I mean, that's, that's okay. I guess, but if love is, hey man, do this for your teammates. Do this for those who came before you. Do this for those fans who just love you and brings joy to them when you win. Subtle difference, but I think it creates greater reservoirs of energy. Really, what we're talking about when it's talking about motivation is it we're trying to motivate people to have energy to do the work necessary to be successful. And so love and vision will always be better than fear and hate. Any closing thoughts, Sheldon, as we close out this podcast? No, I love how great you guys are with your organization at coming up with phrases and taglines and it's sticky, right? It's sticky and, and you've created one kind of for me, right? It's, it's, it's more effective to create vision than incite fear. And it is better to build with and build for something and work for something than to um, fight against others, right? I mean, it's just very, I, I think those are good guiding kind of key things that are true with, with psychology. When you're, when you're building for something, it's a lot easier than when you're defending against, right? And, and so I think it's a good principles. Awesome. Well, Sheldon, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always awesome. Yeah. Appreciate you. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, we'll see you. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining the Sportlight Podcast. We ask you to subscribe, to share these thoughts, and to implement them, and to let us know what you think. We appreciate you tuning in. Eyes up. Do the work. This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforathletes.org slash book. Yeah.